just uh, I want to preface by saying three things. The first thing is uh, um, the first thing is obviously um, obviously all of us, our entire community, uh, we're in a we're in a strange place. We're in a strange place. Uh, a lot of feelings. Today was a deeply inspirational day, a deeply meaningful day, humbling for me at least. Um, you know, we always uh, we always go and we say like our own personal side of stuff, right? It's it's only human to do so, no matter how much we try. When I came into Lincoln Square, um, I was 25 years old. The Chaz had been uh, there was a kind of awe because the Chaz had been chazening. He'd been doing his thing for twice the amount of time that I'd been alive. If that's not a humbling thought, if that's not. And I said to uh, I said to Rabbi Robinson, you know, like. Uh, so we've been doing Musaf downstairs for the last couple of years. And, um, and it's like, you know, you get to watch, you know, like the old master, right? You get to watch, you know, the virtuoso doing his thing almost effortless. I'm like sweating bullets the whole day. What am I going to mess up on? What am I going to say that people are going to get angry at? Or, you know, what am I going to embarrass myself with? And there's the Chaz, and he's like, he's in his place. You know, he's doing his thing. So, uh, so I thought today was a fitting tribute, but I think that... Uh, going ahead and doing uh, what we do at Lincoln Square, which is Torah and tefillah and chesed and friendship and all that stuff. So I would say, you know, uh, another cliche, this is exactly what the Chaz would want, us getting together and learning. And uh, it'll be a week, uh, I'm sure, of us going ahead and, and going to the family and uh, showing our support. But uh, what a way to start that. The second thing is that uh, also, uh, I'm, I'm already at like the emotional precipice, but... Uh, but um, I remember very clearly the doctor, I won't go too long tonight, I promise. I'm, I'm conscious of everyone's time. Uh, the doctor in Camp, uh, in Camp Simcha, the doctor was Dr. D, Dr. Dichik. And Dr. D was this like, you know, mythical figure. You can't tell anybody, well, it's recording, but he used to bring kegs for the counselors on the first uh, Friday nights because he knew, he knew what everybody needed, you know, the intensity of Camp Simcha. He was like, he was one of the guys, amazing doctor, amazing physician, amazing person. So he was also, uh, he founded the organization uh, to help advocate for Zechariah and Shlomo Baumel, who, uh, Zach Baumel. I'm not going to do it. Whatever. It's not a Piazetz, it's not an Eish Kodesh here, right? <laughs> um, it's a beautiful thing that Am Yisrael, you know, they say to you in the army, and it's not a cliche. I heard it from my commanders, you know, that, um, that you don't get left behind. So it's a big schos that we don't leave somebody behind. Now he's not forgotten. But it's also very bittersweet, because if anybody ever remembered Zach's father, Yona Baumel, so he spent his whole life trying to uh, trying to get the world to do something about his boy. And the family was tortured by intransigent Arab leaders who could have done something. And uh, he never got to see this kind of closure. What a sad thing. What a, what a like almost Tanakh level sadness. So that stinks. So, maybe, maybe Chaz is singing like V'shavubanim L'gvulam with uh, Zach and his dad. So I also want to thank uh, Anna and the Freilich family 
for sponsoring tonight's share. I apologize. For sponsoring tonight's share to learn Torah. Lili Nishmas, your father, and Anna agreed to maybe share a word or two about your dad. Um, <laughs> Please. My father, Naftali Ben Yaakov, uh, or Sean Dorrance. Friends know him. Um, actually, April 4th is when he passed away in English calendar. So. My father also April 4th. Who? My father oh. April 4th in English. Wow. Wow. So, Kafei Adar Beth. Monday, this is actually what I say. Um, he was born in 1913. Uh, in Kishvarda, Hungary. He was one of eight children, seven boys and one girl. Um, he apprenticed as a tailor. Um, when the war happened, he was not taken to a concentration camp, but he was in a Russian labor camp. Um, and luckily, we can say lucky for him, since he was a tailor, the officers kept him as their tailor. So one can imagine that they treated him a little bit better than some of the other prisoners, um, which he also felt that they did. Um, <clears throat> after the war, um, miraculously, six brothers returned to Hungary to perish in the war. A sister and a brother um, and they tried to build a life again he met my mother they married brothers all got married continued um, working as a tailor <clears throat> my mother was a dressmaker I don't think I ever bought a piece of clothing <laughs> between my father and my mother till I was <laughs> in my teens um, but uh, my father did love learning. He worked in a factory his whole life, so there wasn't much time during the day, but when he retired, he went to shul for morning shear all the time. Um, he uh, had a stroke. Um, my mother took care of him at home for 10 years, and I think he went through Tehillim twice, at almost every day, so he, I think, would really appreciate the fact that we are learning in his memory. Nice. Thank you so much. All right. So um, I, I was thinking rather than, uh, rather than diving into the Haggadah itself, which is an endless text. I mean, uh, I once heard somebody say that the two, the two Jewish texts that have been Zoha, that have merited the most commentaries are the Haggadah, Shal Pesach, and, the, and, and Pirkei Avos. So there's, there's endless stuff. You could fill this whole room with Haggadahs and you'd still have some more that would be outside. I, I instead wanted to do something a little different, which is to talk about this week and next week, foundational concepts that sort of underpin uh, everything that we're trying to do with the Haggadah, everything we're trying to do in Sipri Tzias Mitzrayim, telling the story of the Exodus and, and what the holiday of Pesach is about. Uh, there, there's... There's such meaning, there's such, uh, there's such a profundity of concept in the holiday of Pesach, which is really uh, the birthday, it's the beginning of the year. Uh, this month, uh, the, the way, what, what I heard reported was that Rav Cook, 
used to have uh, a challah cover, a matzah cover, and on the matzah cover he basically said that, that Pesach is the springtime of the world. And, and we sensed a little bit today, and, and otherwise, you know, the weather is thawing, and, and things are starting to come to life. And, uh, and, and the overarching idea behind Pesach is a concept of renewal and redemption and renaissance and uh, a nation being born. It also happens to be my birthday too, um, but that's, uh, that's, I guess, a much more minor thing. So I wanted to focus on, on a small, what might be a small, just one word, really, uh, relating to Pesach, but actually a foundational concept in Avodah Hashem, in the service of God. And, uh, and, and, and this is not just not just for you know, intellectual stimulation, this is not just to think of a nice idea, but hopefully for all of us, myself included, uh, that this is something actionable, that this is something that we could take and, and hopefully run with it. And you'll see why, why that's a very apt uh, metaphor for, for what we're about to learn. So let's jump right into it. The topic is the holiness of haste. Pasuk says in the very beginning, um, unnumbered, so it comes from Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. And God has instructed Moses to tell the Jewish people, this is how the first Pesach, this is how the carbon Pesach, what we call Pesach Mitzrayim, this is how you eat it. So you have to gird your, uh, gird your loins, right? Uh, I actually saw somebody, uh, I saw, I don't know how to pronounce it, a, a, a gif or a gif of actually what it means to gird your loins. You have a tunic. It actually is like a thing where you fold the tunic, which you can't do battle, you know, with like, uh, right, with something that's touching the ground. So you actually have a way of girding it. Right? So our belts are buckled, our loins are girded. Your shoes are on your feet. And you have your walking sticks in your hands. You should eat the Pesach hastily. Pesach Hula Hashem, this is the Paschal Lamb, this is the Pesach, this is God's Pesach, this is a sacrifice to God, and I want to focus on this word, Bechipazon, and we'll, we'll eventually touch upon this entire strange Pesach, right? God's telling us, like, you know, what do we have to be, like, how does our, what does our dress need to look like? How do we need to appear when we're bringing the carbon, eating the carbon Pesach? What exactly is going on here? And this particular concept of chipazon, how do we understand that? So I want to, want to start with a, uh, a, a foundational idea from Rav Tzadok HaKohen, Rabinowitz of Lublin. Rav Tzadok HaKohen, just a, a short biographical sketch. Tzadok HaKohen was born in 1823. He died in 1900s. Kind of wild that uh, that really into the the, the previous century uh, there were people around that that very much saw and knew Rav Tzadik. We don't have a picture of him. Rav Tzadik was a monumental figure. He was a uh, he was a Litvak, a Lithuanian, known as an Eloy, a, a prodigious Talmudic talent. And eventually he found his way uh, to Ishbitz. He found his way to Mordechai Yosef Leiner of Ishbitz. He was uh, on a little bit of a tour of rabbinic personalities for a personal reason. And he met the Ishbitzer Rebbe who uh, was a some might say a theological radical, uh, a Hasidic Rebbe of repute, actually heard him teach Gemara, and that's exactly what was Moshe, him drew him closer. And after the death of uh, his friend and, and also erstwhile teacher and follower of the Ishbitzer of Leibla Eger, a uh, grandson of Rebekiv Eger, so after his death, he assumed the leadership of many of the Hasidim of Ishbitz in 1888, and he wrote on virtually every Mekzoa of Torah, from Halacha to Pritzadik commentary on the Chumash, and then all the way into Tzidka Satzadik, which some might say is his magnum opus. And he writes the following in the first, in the first, in the first, 
piece in Sidka Satsadik. So it's it's apropos that it's the first piece. And we'll jump into the text. The very beginnings of a person's jumping into the service of God needs to be done in haste, fast. It's like we saw in that Pasuk. In Pesach Mitzrayim, God instructed that it is to be done in haste, fast. We ate it hastily, speedily. Below Pesach Doros. However, Pesach, for the rest of history, was not done with Chippazon. The way in which one decides, when we make the decision, I'm going to serve God, you know, now I'm going to be a Jew, now I'm going to put effort into this. When you do that, so there has to be a complete separation, to, to disengage yourself from all of the desires, all the machmadim, everything that makes up a person's, uh, takes up a person's headspace in this world. You know, what, what kind of food, am I going to make sure that it's right, how much money, Money. Am I going to make sure that everything I have everything I, uh, my parents used to say always to differentiate between wants and needs, right? So to focus less on what you want and to focus more on what you need to separate from all of the tavos of olam hazeh, all the desires of this world, shuma kushabahem, that a person finds themselves attached to. A person, when they decide, from now, I'm going to do, and this, by the way, is not just necessarily if the concept of the words avodas Hashem is uh, too fraught a term. This is really with everything, right? Then I'll explain in a moment, but you have to take that moment, that moment of inspiration, that moment where a person feels, ah, oh, right? Maybe you're sitting at a, at a funeral for a communal figure, or maybe you're thinking of a, of a figure that, 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 that doesn't loom, but, but illuminates so, so great in our lives. You take that moment, you say, well, what do I do with this? Do I let it... Do I fritter it away? Does it go into the stream of time and, it, and it's forgotten? Or do I hold on to this moment and say, I'm going to use this moment for something positive. I'm going to change. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to separate myself from everything that came before. You have to guard it. You have to, you have to safeguard that moment. That you feel the divine spirit. Sadduk seems to characterize that bolt of inspiration one feels as a little bit of a divine spirit, of a kind of prophetic burst. Something within you is saying this moment, this is something that you could, you could do, you could become different, you could change yourself at this moment for the better. And you have to rush after it, quickly, maybe you'll be able to go ahead and to use that moment, that inspiration properly. And then afterwards, then after you have that moment, after that bolt of inspiration, then slowly, slowly, then you start to go ahead and assess your situation. How do I put this? How do I implement this inspiration? We talk constantly, right? It's almost a cliche. I was so inspired. I, I felt something. And, and, then we, and then we look at ourselves, whether it's, you know, I have this, I have this uh, Leviathan and, and, and Elu and Tishrei when you're working really hard. And you say, how do I make sure? How do I ensure that next year I'm not at the same point? How do I ensure that next time I sit and I hear something that I'm saying, well, I've actually improved? Right, so the point is, is to say, do not let that moment go away. Do not let that moment fly by. Grab it and do something with it. What do you do with inspiration? With tzaddik is is honing in on that very thing. Now I mentioned this doesn't necessarily have to be right. Avodas Hashem for me, that's a, a hard word. For me, that's a fraught term. But uh, you know, my my safta uh, should live and be well. My safta used to be like a pack a day smoker. 
And uh, my, my father and his brother prevailed upon her. She was, you know, a Holocaust survivor and then became an Israeli. So all the reason in the world to smoke cigarettes. She, she decided, my father and his brother prevailed upon her. Man, you got to quit. So my Safta went and bought, you know, she used to smoke, I think, Dunhills, these long cigarettes. She bought a whole carton and she said, okay, this is the moment. And she sat and broke every single cigarette, looked at it and broke it, looked at it and broke it. She took that moment and she did something active with it, right? She didn't just say, oh, okay, it's a nice idea, or I'll put it off till tomorrow. She rushed into it and she did it then. Now, this concept, a few questions arise. First of all, I thought that we have to go ahead and Judaism privileges the concept of metinus, that a person, what Rav Tzadok says afterwards, we do things deliberately. We don't rush. Sometimes when you rush and sometimes when you, especially for myself, when you talk without thinking, so you get yourself in trouble. Or you go ahead and you do things. If you make rash moves, so sometimes that could come back to bite you afterwards. And people say, well, why did you move so fast? Why'd you? Rav Yosef Tov Soloveitchik, who was born in 1903, died in 1993. Great Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva University, Yeshiva Surveyor Yitzchak Elchanan. So he gave a lecture on Yom Ha'atzma'ut in 1956 in Lamport Auditorium in YU. And it was subsequently published as a book, and it's called Koldo Di Dofik. Raise your hands if you've heard of this book. Right? It's a foundational, foundational book of religious Zionist thought, especially for American Judaism. Where Soloveitchik, I mean, in a short book, or Soloveitchik manages to touch upon God and the Holocaust, founding the State of Israel, the role of Zionism in American Jewish life. And he does so with such a plum. He does so with such, with, in a way, with the eloquency that only a Rav Soloveitchik could manage. And Rav Soloveitchik describes in this book, based on a verse in Shir Hashirim, it says, Kol dodi dofek pischi leachoti, rayasi, yonasi, tamasi, right, that my voice of my beloved knocks. So Rasolovechik identified on the world historical stage six knocks, six knocks. And actually, maybe now is a good time because it's important to understand the call of the hour that Rav Soloveitchik is going to gesture to now. The six knocks are the following. I even wrote them down because I don't know them by heart. I remember being assigned the book, and that's the worst way to encounter the book the first time. But Rav identifies the first knock in the political arena that there was a Balfour Declaration, that there was a UN Declaration, that the nations of the world seemed to be, for some reason, come together, and unfortunately the institutions, almost to show a miraculous is the institutions with which they came together to give the imprimatur to the founding of the State of Israel, almost very quickly turned into circuses where the State of Israel and Jews are demonized and, and turned into the world's pariah. But they came in the political arena, something was seen that the Jewish people were given the stamp of approval to go ahead and to found the Jewish state on Admas Kodesh, on Holy Land. The second knock, the second knock of the beloved is on the battlefield. That the Jewish people won a war against all odds. That really, if you take a look at what, at what we had in 1948, that we really shouldn't be here. And then in 1967, again, although this was before this, in 1967, again, I'm sure everybody here is, is it's, you know, classic on our bookshelves, you know, uh, six days in, in, in June, right? So that we know, uh, we know that, uh, that, that mass graves were dug because this was going to be a second Holocaust in 1967. And improbably, we emerged victorious in ways that no one could even fathom. So the battlefield is the voice of the beloved knocking. God acts through history. The third is in theology. And Rosolovechik points, and this is already, we're talking 10 years before Nostra Aetete, which was the declaration of the Catholic Church, where they reassessed, they reassessed their approach, Catholicism's approach to Judaism, 10 years before. So the biggest Chilil Hashem, the biggest desecration, which Rosolovechik caused the wholesale slaughter of Europe's, of Europe's Jews. And, and the fact that, that we were, in a large sense, the world stood powerless to do anything about it. But in the theological stage, 
that all of a sudden the Jewish people are on the world stage again and they're winning wars and they're founding a state of their own and there's a revival. So what happens to supersessionist doctrine? What happens to the doctrine that the Jews have been relegated to the dustbin of history and, and Catholicism merges triumphant on the theological stage? Something massive has happened. And the fourth knock is the knock in the hearts of the youth that uh, an apathetic, a previously apathetic and a previously disengaged youth all of a sudden is starting to feel the beats of the Baal Tshuva movement, which we heard very well that the Chaz and Rabbi Riskin tapped into to found our shul, right? The people were brought back. I mean, there was one line today that really jumped in. You'll, I'll apologize for interspersing, but this is what's on my mind. One of the lines that struck me today, especially as a rabbi, when Rabbi Riskin said in his imitable way, you know, very... Uh, Almost uh, nonchalant, he says, you know, I taught, I, I taught uh, classes, and Sherwood sang, and people started to change. They started to come closer to God. That's exactly the knock that's being referred to here. The hearts of the youth are starting to be aroused, that, uh, that we don't want shoals anymore where we're, where we're shut out for, uh, for not having a ticket. We want a place where we could go ahead and connect to God and learn Torah. That's the fourth knock. The fifth knock is the most important knock, Rabbi Soloveitchik said, Jewish blood is not cheap. Right? And even, and, and even in, in afterlife, Jewish blood will be returned, right? And it'll be returned back to Admas Kodesh for, for Jewish burial. Jewish blood is not cheap. If, you, if, you, if somebody thinks that they could do something to a Jew in the world, whether it's in Munich, which Rafsalvechik didn't know about yet, whether it's at the Olympics, whether it's on the Kililaro, whether it's on a ship that you could throw over uh, an elderly Jewish person, whether you could do stuff like that, Jewish blood is not cheap, right? We don't, we don't stand for that anymore. And then finally, the, the last knock is, is kibbutz galios. The last knock is the sense that, that the doors of Israel are opened to bring in any Jew from any place. So Rabbi Soloveitchik, and remember, we're only 11 years after the Holocaust when he's writing these words. Rabbi Soloveitchik writes the following words, what do we do with these knocks? Right? How, how do we respond? What's the response? So what's, and you'll see that the idea of chipazon takes a central role in Rabbi Soloveitchik's conception of our response as a Jewish people on the world historical stage to the developments of history in our lifetimes. And he writes the following. We'll start on the, on the top line after the question mark. So then we have a time of despair, a time of suffering. Suffering. Suffering is the final way in which divine providence speaks to a person, warns a person, impacts a person. Tries to, tries to engage us, tries to get us involved. A person can be bereft of feelings of, of equanimity, bereft of feelings they can feel at unease and on a national scale as well. He says, The final call that comes out of suffering with this final call, the call of suffering, a person has to respond to the divine cry of, where are you? Right? This is the cry that starts out Jewish history. When God says to Adam after the sin, Adam Arishon, he says, Ayeka. Right? Where are you? God knows exactly where we are. He's, he's, he's looking for us to respond. He's looking for us to go ahead and to show, Hineni, here we are. He says, Judaism has for time immemorial been very circumspect on the concept of chimuts from Lashon Chametz, of leavening the hour, which might mean allowing the moment to pass, allowing the inspiration, allowing an auspicious time to just pass over us, to go whoosh and to say, okay, that was nice. 
היהדו תקפידה מאוד על ישראלים וצעשה. בסטו דוס זמן רגישהי. Judaism is an accolade, it's a religion where we take very seriously the concept of sacred time and sacred moments. שהייה כלשהי נחשבת על ידי לפשע. In Judaism, delay, waiting, tarrying, is considered a great sin. And I might add that we return this to God and we say, Right? We have forbearance. Jewish people have forbearance. We wait for the Messiah, for the Redeemer. Even though the Mashiach tarries, we still wait. But the same, the level for us, the drisha, the requirement for us is to never, to never allow a moment to pass. It's considered a sin. It's considered a violation. A person can lose their entire world. A person can lose everything but for one sin. And we tarried. And we waited. And we allowed an auspicious moment to pass us by. That we allowed a moment of inspiration to come and go. And we may have said to ourselves, here's our plan. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to act upon this. And we didn't do anything. That's a tremendous sin. Continues Rabbi Soloveitchik on page number two. This idea crops up everywhere. Rabbi Soloveitchik, ever the halachist, sees this cropping up in, in every area of Torah. Ma'wisar nosar. What's the concept of nosar is, is when I bring a carbon and you're supposed to eat it in one day and then, and then you leave some over. You're not allowed to leave it over. Ma'wisar nosar im lo ichor shah. That the whole prohibition is, is allowing time to pass. Ma'wavon chilul Shabbos. What's the violation of Shabbos? Violation of Shabbos, I'm always, sometimes, you know, I forget where I am, and I'll go ahead and like, I'll, uh, strictest of punishments. He continues, he says, Right, we have a concept of not violating an Avera, but ignoring an inc- a mitzvah that is incumbent upon us to do. If it was not an issue of just waiting a few minutes, right? I'll daven, I'll daven, I'll daven, I'll daven, too late. Right? I'll, I'll, um, I'll go ahead, you know, I, I, I'll make it, I, this happens to me a lot, right? Just five more minutes, five more minutes, five more minutes before me, I have to go to Minyan, five more minutes. And then all of a sudden, so I come into Minyan, I'm rushing into it, and, I, and it's not a davening, it's like, uh, it's just showing up. Right? It's almost like a bit mitzvah. This happens in everywhere in Torah. He says, Kigon like saying Shema after its time. Taking the Lulav after the sun is set and things like that. So he says, this concept of Ismamus, of Shehiyah, of Chimut Shah, crops up everywhere, and sometimes it's the very difference between a sin and a mitzvah, between accomplishing something in service of God and accomplishing nothing. There was an article in the New York Times very recently about uh, psychologists rethinking the topic of procrastination. Uh, I procrastinate, right? And, uh, and, and basically, the, the TLDR on this, too long, didn't read, is a, a shocking thing, which is that procrastination is a form of self-harm, right? A form of self-harm, right? People sometimes, when people feel unworthy, or when people feel down on themselves, or people feel that they don't deserve things, so we try, we hurt ourselves, right? Sometimes it's mitpate in, in, in ways that lo aleinu, chalila, chalila could be actually very dangerous. But sometimes it's mitpate, it, it expresses itself. We'll say things about ourselves that aren't true. 
we'll go ahead, we'll, 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 we'll put ourselves into fights, into arguments that we don't even want to be, like, why am I even doing this? Like, why am I even, why am I upset at my kids? Why am I, why am I acting like this towards my spouse? And, like, really, it's about us trying to hurt ourselves, right? Procrastination. So, so with this author, I forgot the name of this author, and, and I was going to buy the book, but I procrastinated. <laughs> this author said that procrastination is a form of self-harm, that we know we could accomplish something. We know we need to answer that email. We know, we know that if we, if we wait until the morning, then the 24-hour window is passed, and then we're sorry for the delay, right? The inevitable sorry for the delay. That that, that Miss Mahamea sometimes is the very difference between forging a strong relationship or accomplishing something, and another email, sorry for the delay and nothing is accomplished. And this happens, or, or going ahead and saying, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll take care of it, I'll take care of it, I'll take care of it, and then it's Erev Pesach, and you're like, oh, I have to get matzahs, right? It's, this is... This is chimotasha. This is allowing time to leaven. Instead of looking at time as I have this moment and let me grab the moment to do something now, I allow time to expand and get away from me. I allow a moment of inspiration to expand and to get away from me. I allow a sense of accomplishment. Something I'm going to do in Avodah Hashem gets away from me. Some of us lead lifetimes where what we leave at the end of the lifetime is a million plans, a million books unwritten, a million things left unsaid. A million uh, ideas, oh, that's nice. I'm going to be the person who's going to go ahead and quietly deliver you know, Shabbos meals to somebody. It's beautiful. I heard about that at a funeral. And I never did it because I was Misma Meya. It was Isachim I didn't do it. This idea is born out in the Midrashim, in Midrashic literature as well, with uh, one of the most famous, well-known rabbinic drashot. I don't like saying something is famous, right? But, but in the world... If, you, if I were to say, this is a famous Chazal, this is a famous Chazal. The Yalkut Shemoni is an Agadic compilation, likely from the early 13th century, and it's become like near canonical, so it collects something based on the, um, based on the Tanchuma. And it says, V'shamartem es hamatzos. God tells the Jewish people, when we left Egypt, you shall guard the matzos, right? We interpret this nowadays in a strictly halachic sense, we, we shouldn't allow it, right? we can't allow any moisture to come in contact with our matzos. We can't allow the bread, the physical matzah, to leaven. Rav Yoshia Omer, Rav Yoshia says, Al tikri ela Simply by changing the intonation, really the same the same word, the same letters, by changing the intonation of you should guard the matzahs from leavening, from coming in contact with water, from becoming chametz, right? It's amazing the difference between something that's a mitzvah to eat on Pesach and a little bit of leavening, right? 18 minutes, the proverbial 18 minutes, it becomes the terrible violation, sakares, terrible thing. So he says, don't read it. So he misreads and he says, guard the mitzvahs. The same way that we don't allow the matzah to leaven and to become something else. Do not allow mitzvahs to leaven in the sense that don't allow mitzvahs to pass by you. Don't allow a moment where you are going to perform a mitzvah in its right time, in the right way, with alacrity, with a sense of of diligence, with the sense of urgency, don't allow that to pass by. If a mitzvah comes to your hand, do it now. Don't, right, in journeys, right? My parents always used to say, don't put off till tomorrow something you could do today. You should be zariz, you should be fast, you should be rushing into doing mitzvahs. There's two drushes of Chazal on this that appear. One appears in the Gemara Megillah and Davvavah Mabez. He says, Mitzvah baliyadcha al tach mitzena. 
using this shoresh of chametz. Don't turn your mitzvahs into chametz. Do your mitzvahs and let that create the obligation. Let that create the sense of, 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 of urgency. You need to do it right now. Don't say, I've got time. Even if you will, even if you will right? Even if I know Zman Kriyashma is, you know, 9.50, whatever, you know, I, I could say it up until then. Wake up and say it with the sunrise. Go ahead and do it now. I'm speaking to myself primarily, right? And then there's another Gemara on, on Yuma, Lamed Gimel, Lamed Aleph. Reish Lakish says, Eim Avir in Alamitza. This is a slightly different halachic concept. But if, a mitzvah, if I have a mitzvah, I don't, I, don't, I don't go over and say I have other stuff to do. Which is interesting because we talk about on Pesach that on that night, the night of Chippazim, God passed over us. Right? God passed over us. The Malachim are saying to God, a separate concept we'll discuss next week. But the Malachim are saying to God, what are you redeeming these people for? The Jews deserve redemption. Halu of the Avodah Halu of the Right? Uh, what exactly is so special about the Jewish people that they deserve to be redeemed? They, they're idolaters. The Egyptians are idolaters. What exactly is the, what exactly is the big deserving aspect of the Jewish people that they need to be redeemed? So we'll talk about that. But God passes over us. He spares us. And he allows us to experience redemption. He allows us in a hasty way. And we do that in a hasty way. So, so the best articulation of this, and, and, and just for the sake of time, look, it, it, Rav Cook's language is so beautiful. Rav Cook's language is something that, uh, that you could spend forever on, and, and we did for two months here last year. But, um, but Rav, Cook, Rav Cook elaborates on this idea in his Olas Raya. Olas Raya is Rav Cook's commentary, two-volume commentary on the Siddurs compiled by a son of Yehuda, and it takes from Rav Cook's various different writings, and it's a running commentary, and within it, and now published separately, I saw in a thinner volume is the Haggadah Olas Raya, right, which is really just taken selections from within Olas Raya. Um, we have time. Can we read inside? Is that okay? Rav Cook writes the following, just to the music of Rav Cook's words. Matzah. Rav Cook comments on matzah. And, and, and if you're unfamiliar with the language of Cook, uh, I would say the, the, the fastest accusation someone would lodge is that it's flowery, poetic, it's not really saying much, it's redundant, um, but it rewards effort. It rewards effort, hopefully reward our effort. Matzah is lechem oni. V'yitzias chipazon. Matzah is poor man's bread. V'yitzias chipazon. And leaving Mitzayim in a hasty way, that's related to matzah. The two ideas, matzah, this flatbread, this, this, this non-chametz bread, that's closely related to the concept of yitzias chipazon, leaving Mitzayim in the fastest, hastiest way possible. This chipazon is what signifies the form of matzah, meaning if matzah were to be, if this food that we eat and pay millions of dollars for, right, if this matzah was something that we were going to have and characterize with an action, so the action of matzah would be Russian out of Mitzrayim. Yitzias chipazon. That's what, the, the form of matzah, it, matzah takes its form in the footsteps of that idea. It was God Almighty who told us that we have to leave Mitzrayim in such a hasty manner. In order to raise up the banner of the Jewish people and their level. God didn't want us to develop as a nation the way that other nations develop. 
which is a gradual way in which some, right, something happens, maybe there's a war, maybe there's a new leader, maybe, another, maybe some big thinker writes a book that takes... Nations develop in a staggered, incremental kind of way. They come onto the stage of history, and oftentimes, especially with our oppressors, they often exit the stage of history, whether the Babylonians, whether the Greeks, whether the Romans, whether the Persians, right? Those nations developed and they reached their apotheosis. They reached, they reached the, a, a place in time where they, where they went and expressed themselves in the, in the fullest way possible. That's what Rukuk says, Hahit pat chut hasidurit, a gradual misudar, an organized way of development, incrementalism. Every nation develops in its natural way. It arrives at its at its at its at its state that it's uh, it it arrives at its perfected state of what it was supposed to do after a certain amount of time it, it, through conquest through going ahead and having vassal states and through developing its culture and its religion that's how the, that's how the world works but when we're talking about us the Jewish people had such potential as promised to our ancestors promised to our patriots and matriarchs they were near damim it was dormant it lay asleep in Mitzrayim, in the soul, the very soul of the nation, as long as we were in Egypt. Kivushim, ba'omi, v'shveilis, chomris, and mutsaris. And it was suppressed, and it was oppressed, and it was subjugated, and it was hidden, and occluded. Yatsu betheta, pitom, minakochel, and all of a sudden it goes, in one fell swoop, in one night, it goes from potential, to all of a sudden now it's being expressed. The Jewish people are going to talk about how crazy that night was. How ridiculous Pesach Mitzrayim was, if you think about it in any, in any real way, how unbelievable it was that a nation was able to somehow do this in one fell swoop. The amount of emuna, the amount of faith that it took for the Jewish people to do that on that night. That, by the way, that faith stays for us for all of history. God says, God says to the prophets, God says, I'll remember that night. That's going to be remembered for all time. You followed me into the desert. You had no idea where I was leading you. You complained when you were there a little bit. Right? There were problems, to be sure. Right? You're human. You're only human. But the fact that you went ahead and you did what you did, Jewish people, that we did what we did on that night in Mitzrayim, after so many years of subjugation, after so many years where our national tzura, our national form, was so oppressed and, and compressed, we call Egypt the Kura Barzel. It was the, this, this iron furnace. Nothing got out. Mitzrayim was a totalizing culture in a way that, that, that if not for the last tiny shred of, of Judaism, of, of Hebraism that we held on to from, the, from our ancestors, from the Avasi Maus, we would have been totally, we would have, right, we say in the Haggadah, right, we would have been there, right, we would have still been in Mitzrayim, right, if God did not take us out, we'd still be servants to Paro, Paro or some other and we wouldn't have remained. We would have remained the people. Rav Kook continues. Immediately, in one fell swoop, we left from, from potentia into action. So once we, we flipped around from a nation of slaves to a godly nation, in one fell swoop. Rabbi Suramas Erech with such value. To a holy nation that will eventually in a few weeks hence, be fit to receive the greatest instruction, the divine instruction of the Torah. Le'or hayoter gadol, to receive the greatest light. Shal Torah's emes, the truth of Torah. 
nation was born at one time it was the hand of God who did this to make us into a great nation with his strong and outstretched arm and Arif Kuk gets into his idea right so Mitzrayim was Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim that night was a big night and it happened in one fell swoop and a nation of slaves turned into a godly nation in an instant so God by divine design it was that the way in which we accomplish that the way in which that happens is that no other nations form no other surah or tarput, no other culture, no other residue of any other nationality or their culture could be left with us. Because if it is, then whatever we're trying to accomplish now is going to be tainted a little bit. It's going to have a tzivyon, to use Rav Cook's language. It's going to have a little bit of a coloring of something else, something foreign, something that's going to be ma'akiv, something that's going to stand in the way of every Jew's unmediated connection with the divine. When God wanted to build us into this nation, it was, it was so important, so necessary. That there shouldn't be mixed into our national form. That nothing that we saw in Mitzrayim for 400 years should touch us at all at this moment. That whatever we had, whatever was impressed upon us, whatever by osmosis or by force, whatever we got from Egypt and its idolatrous culture, nothing of that should stick to us at all. So how could it be that nothing gets stuck to us? Right? There has to be a little bit of Egypt left in making its imprint on, on, on the national psyche of the Jewish people. So what happens? God says, Take your hands away and take for yourselves the carbon Pesach, the Paschal Lamb. And we'll see how that plays in in a moment. And I want you to slaughter the gods of Egypt. Until the Jewish people at that moment, we are bereft of any national character. At the night of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, we were tabula rasa, we were a blank state in a national perspective. God said, get, every, get rid of everything. Right, every every Netflix series you've seen, every TV show, every article that you've seen, right? Lahavdil, right? It's plenty of good stuff on Netflix, right? <laughs> at least, at least I think so, right? Everything that you've taken in from the culture that surrounds you, get rid of it all. Blank slate, gotta have nothing because if we're going to go ahead and build the divine nation from this nation of slaves, so what we have to do is we have to start from scratch. We have to start from nothing and then build it up only with godliness, only with divine instruction. And that's what they do. And that's what actually the Jews are fighting against the entire time. Almost every sin, we, we constantly say to ourselves, yeah, how could the Jews, you know, how could they go ahead and complain all that much? How could they go ahead and, and, and rebel against Moshe? Right? Even after, right after, you know, they're singing Az Yashir and they're having a divine inspirational moment. Every Jewish person, right? From top to bottom, everybody had a bolt of divine inspiration. They sang that song. And then they're complaining right afterwards at Mara. How could that be? Everything that we see, the Egel, all that stuff, so all that could be traced back to the, to the trace, to the residue of Egypt, of Avodazara, of 400 years of oppression, of 210 of hard slavery that stuck with the Jewish people. It could all be traced back to that moment. So God says, slaughter the Pesach and be be negated of all national form. So that there could be a possibility that the divine imprint can now make its way on them. Right? Godliness doesn't get stamped onto, onto Avodah Zarah. Godliness needs to get rid of Avodah Zarah, then you get the seal of God. 
Then you get the seal, right? B'ni B'chor Yisrael, these are my people, my, my, my chosen nation. That's how we get elected. That's how we have the foundation stone. We're almost done. So, I'm, you know, maybe for the interest of time, I'll read in English. Right, so now we've, you've gotten enough Rav Kook. So we said Rav Kook writes, God alone would lead them and not some foreign master at the bottom of page three. And were it not for Israel to be such a nation that could develop only through a divine proclivity, if we didn't have that little pintula, that little spark of connecting to the divine within us, then no other national form could be attached to it, and that we would reject any other national form that they tried to put on us, then there would not have been any need for haste, and they would have developed little by little. If this was all going to be a natural process, so what do you need to rush out of Egypt for? Take your time, don't be hasty, make sure you packed everything, make sure everybody's accounted for, right? The Uber will wait for you, it's not a big deal. So if that would have been our form, if that would have been the Jewish people, then there's no need for chipazon, then there's no need for haste. Rav Kook says that that's not the case. We're a nation that was getting ready to receive a divine imprint, that was getting ready to receive the Torah, that was getting ready to develop from a nation of slaves to a divine nation. So the way that we had to do that is not from level to level, from within Egyptian culture to a better one until we were prepared for Matan Torah. However, because any other culture would preclude the holiness of the Torah and the special divine form that we would, expre- that we would accept upon ourselves, it must be that they couldn't have accepted such an incremental development. And because of this, the essential component to Yetzias Mitzrayim, what allowed everything else to happen, what allowed all the other levels to at the beginning, is just run away. Don't wait. Don't tarry. Separate yourself immediately. Don't think twice. Get out of Egypt. Rush. Just don't, don't, like, don't say, there's nobody to say goodbye to. There's nothing, there's nothing that you're going to yearn for. It has to be quick. Right? Sometimes I see this with like, uh, with like, you know, with like parents that uh, are sending their kids off to camp, right? It's like, you know, if you sit there, you turn to, it's going to be okay, don't worry, your bunk's going to be great, you're not going to get a top bunk bed, and teens are going to be good. Right? Some parents, they go ahead, they say, you're going to have an awesome time, kiss and goodbye. In Israel, they do this in, the, in, in school. Some of the Israelis were telling us in school, right, the drop-off takes too long in the morning. We have a concert in Israel, Nashek Vesah. Kiss and go. Here, when it comes to leaving Israel, uh, when it comes to leaving Egypt, rather, don't even get, just go, stop, move. Get on from here. Don't let anything, because the more you stay, one more moment of time, the more you stay, the more residue gets attached to you. The more of Egypt's culture. And we're looking to have a blank slate now in order for the divine form to, to fall upon this nation. Cook says, this haste is essential. And it must perforce be that this is the model to be found in matzah. Matzah is tabula rasa. It's got no taste. It's got no form. The taste has to be thereupon associated with it. We give matzah all sorts of time, and that's what we do at the Seder also. We start with just matzah. Then we take a little bit of maror. Right? Maybe then we do a little bit of korech. We add something to it. And then eventually we're eating matzah. Matzah is now dessert. It's afikoman. How does this tasteless food go from something that we're just like this putting it in our mouths, this cracker, tasteless cracker, that's got nothing mixed in with it, right? the most basic ingredients, and all of a sudden, who are we kidding? Afi Komen, that's the dessert. But that's what, that's, that's, that's what the power of the idea is, that we take this thing that's mishula michol tzura, that's missing any form, and we're turning it into something which is, which is a, a, a blank slate to project all of our dreams, all of our thoughts, all of our national aspirations, everything could be projected onto this flatbread. What an amazing thing. And that's what, that's, just like we see a matzah, same with the Jewish people. You account for the 40 years in the desert. So prob- I, I would say 
part of the problem was, is there was residue. Right? Rav Kook, Rav Kook writes, he says, Ulai yucha. Yeah, but that counters the whole idea of haste, because I'm saying they all get killed in the desert, they all have to leave. To develop a nation, you can't do that in haste. It's easy to leave something, but to do something requires a lot of time. Ah, so that's, so uh, I'll refer you back to Rav Tzadok's idea. Right? The very beginning of that has to be done with haste. What does Rav Tzadok say afterwards? He says, afterwards, shuv yeilech b'metinus. You know, uh, I have this open here. I wasn't going to get into it, but in Kabbalistic terms, right? P- open parentheses, because it's a phenomenal question, right? If it's real haste, just take us straight to Eretz Yisrael, right? Many a person has asked that question, right? To give us the Torah, get us to Eretz Yisrael, why wait? Right? The point is, is that we still have to develop as a nation. The point is to rush out, but then we do have to do this bimetinus, right? We say in Kabbalistic terms, in, in, the, in the terms of the inner Torah, so usually what happens is you have katnus, you have smallness, sense of being, right, the mochen the katnas, the sense of, of you're not feeling it, or, or you're feeling small, or you're feeling like you don't have an expansive uh, perception of reality, right, things are, things, you, you're, on, you're not creative at that time, katnas. Contracting? Con, uh, contraction, and very good, right, and then afterwards, then, after that comes the state of godless. So in, 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 in the words of the Arizal, in Luriana Kabbalah, so Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim was godless, followed by katnas. That's why we call it in, in, in all Hasidic form, it's called Ava Bidilugim. God skipped over for us. We didn't deserve to rush out of Mitzrayim. And to be sure, there were Chamushim all of the Yisrael Mitzrayim. There were many left behind. We're not ready to go. But after we make that initial jump, and after we have Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, and after people already, we already see right at the beginning, they're worried, they see that the Mitzrayim are being so good on them, and the Yam is on the other side, and they start to cry out to Moshe. Right? It's still a nation, still, but the way in which that starts has to be with the greatest taste possible. It has to show us that you have to separate and be monotic. Only then can we do the long slog, the hard work of going and fixing this. By the way, it's not just the Kabbalistic idea, it's literally what we do. From, right? What do we do on the second night of Pesach? What do we start to do? We start to count Sphira. We go from this one moment of fast time, Laila Kiyom Yair, night is day, and every day, Leil Shimurim Hu, it's this protected night, it's this night of godless, of greatness, we have, we're, right? You, you, everybody, everybody's experiencing what's considered the brightest night of the entire year, and all of a sudden you start to count, little by little by little, these 49 levels until you finally are at the level of Matan Torah. It could not have been done in one fell swoop, but the only way in which that process starts is with this separation, is with this cutting off. It might not be a satisfying response, but but, but the point is that it wasn't perfect. That it wasn't, it wasn't the perfect thing, but the only way in which that process could have been started was total separation. Surprising when it comes to gay root, we don't take a, a hasty situation. You don't cut it off right away either. Well, first of all, Judaism is not a proselytizing religion. Second of all, this doesn't, uh, right, a person... Yeah, but you could just as well say also, just cut it off completely and then learn. But we don't do that. Right, a person wants to convert, let them convert immediately. I'm saying we don't tell them to cut it off either right away, you know. Not at all. We, are, we actively discourage, right? We actively discourage. Can this, can this concept be placed on every aspect of Allah? Probably not, but when it comes to Avodah Hashem, for a Jew, for a Jewish person, this is a very crucial and foundational concept. I hear the question. I hear the question. It might be an unsatisfying answer. So let's finish with the final two sources. This source I, I put in, I didn't translate it, but I put it in very quickly. This comes from Yehudim and Shlomo Kanfanton. Uh, he was a Talmud. We don't know too much about him. He was a student of the Ritva. The Ritva is, um, where is it, uh, those ten books, the whole 
two bookshelves over there, foundational uh, Rishon commentator on the Gemara, Rabbi Yontov Ashvili, uh, who lived in Seville uh, in 1250, and died in 1330 in Sargosa, Spain. So Yehuda ben Shlomo was his Talmud, and uh, he, was, he was born and lived in the town of Molina, which is uh, around the Pyrenees Mountains, which is the country of Andorra in between Spain and France. And he wrote a sefer called Darba Kinyanim. And he writes over here, and we'll just do a little bit of it, and then we'll wrap everything up. He says, right? I'm going to explain to you a little bit about Pesach Mitzrayim. When the Jewish people slaughtered the carbon Pesach, which was a keves, a lamb. Every family, every chabura had one paschal lamb. is a word for generalized and prati, and, and on an individual level, he takes a detour. He says that son refers to large flocks and keves is one. He references, interestingly, the description of Eov, of Job's massive flocks. And then he continues on the fourth line. Torah said it had to be ro- roasted. It had to be roasted, the whole thing, with all of its form. One of the halachas of carbon pesach, to break a bone. So he says here, I've haven't seen this. Most people interpret that that's a way of cheros, right? Only, only a person who's you know, worried about this next meal is going to break open a bone and, and suck out the marrow. But a ben choren or a bas choren, so they go ahead and they eat. They eat uh, in a dignified manner. They don't break. So he says, etzim lo When the Torah says, don't break the bones of it, he says, bavur suraso. That's because we don't want what we're eating to lose its form. This is fascinating. V'yakiru Yisrael ki the Jews will see after they've eaten this full lamb in that night, they'll see God as the king of all kings. And God is the master of all nations of the world. That even after I'm done eating, I see, ah, that was a lamb. That's, this is what, this is what our, our oppressors worship. That it's still there. And then the Pasuk says, You have to eat it quickly. So we've seen a little bit what the Chipazon is. Masnechem chagurim that your loins are girded, your belts are buckled, na'alechem, raglechem. says, what's the deal with that? Why, is, why does that have to be like that? Derech bizayon. He says, we do that. We eat the Pesach in the night of Mitzrayim. We ate it like that as a way of mockery. Kamishahu raglo echad bachutz. As a person who has one foot out the door. Viraglo echad bifnim. And one foot in, one inside. Kamishahrotz levazos ba'aleim ve'neim kodem shiyalchu. Right? As a way to go ahead, using terminology from the, from the Megillah, to embarrass, right? You would think that this is such a monumental thing. We're, we're slaughtering something. We're slaughtering that which was worshipped by our, by our enslavers, by our oppressors. So he writes, Shehuda bin Shlomo Kanfantan says, God said, eat it and make it seem, be almost blase about it, right? Be almost, say, okay, we're eating the gods of Egypt, big deal. We're showing the tzura. We have one foot out the door anyway. That's chipazon. He says the chipazon was part of the way in which we make a, uh, we make a leitzanus adavod azara. We make a mockery of the idolatry. Almost a dovetailing with Rav Cook's idea that has to be a complete separation from any sense that the idolatry of, of, of Egypt had any power over us. So that's an interesting way to interpret the rest of the Pasuk. Right? To be sure, just go back to this word of chipazon. Unkelis translated in a little bit of a different way. Unkelis writes the word chipazon is bebehilu. Right? Unklus writes, Behilu is almost like a state of shock. Right? That sometimes when somebody's in a state of shock, you, this could be a different tack that we could take. Somebody, when somebody's in a state of shock, you sort of just move them along. Right? You sort of just get them going. 
I, I would reference the TV. I mentioned Netflix. I've not referenced the TV show, but I'm not going to do it in a year. But, mm. but almost like uh, somebody that's like totally incapable of doing anything. So you just, come on, let's go, move along. Right? That's Behilu. State of, of shock. And, and just, we have to move quickly. So all this comes to a uh, head with the Mishnah and Psachim, and we'll, and we'll conclude with this. The Mishnah says, Ma bein Pesach Mitzrayim le Pesach Doros. What's the difference? This is Mishnah and Psachim, Parak Tas, Mishnah Hey. What's the difference between the Pesach of Egypt and the Pesach of old generations? Which, right after. Pesach Mitzrayim, Mekacha Be'asar. Pesach Mitzrayim, so had to be bought and purchased and acquired from the 10th of the month. Vitaon Hazab Agudas Ezov, and they had to take a hyssop branch, and they had to put the blood on the doorpost and sprinkle the blood. Valamashkov, and on the doorpost, Valshte Hamazuzos, and on the top and the two sides. Venachal Bechipazon, and it's eaten in haste. Balayla Echad, in one night. Pesach Doros, Pesach for the rest of generations. Chimutso Noe Kol Shiva. Ravaja Bartinur says there's something missing here. He says the Pesach Mitzrayim was one night. One night and one night only. Get out. Get out of Dodge. We have to run out of Egypt. We can't, let, can't stay here another moment. Everything, everything here has to be in haste. Am Yisrael, like an individual starting Avotas Hashem, we're rushing with that bolt of inspiration. We've seen the Makos. We've seen the Niflos. We've seen the Yad HaChazaka, God's outstretch hand. Now it's time to act. Let's move. Let's get out into the desert, which is scary and uncertain and unclear. We don't know what's going to be there, but let's just run out. Pesach Doros, but once that happens, once we have that illumination, once we see how that is, so then we go ahead and the rest, Pesach is seven days, this Rechamitz is for seven days, right? We eat the matzah for seven days. It's not a one-night affair, but it's expanded. And this concept is not just Bechlal for Am Yisrael and Mitzrayim. It's not just Bechlal in a general sense that Am Yisrael did this so many generations ago when they left Egypt to become a nation and to forge themselves from within another nation and to start their general avodah Hashem to eventually receive the Torah at Har Sinai, which we'll celebrate in Chag Shavuos. But this is also an individual, to go back to Rav Tzadok, that of individual, when we have that moment, when we have that bolt, and we want to get out of not just Mitzrayim, but our Meitzarim. Meitzarim means our constrictions. Called out from within the straits, the narrow places. When a person feels the mitzar and those walls closing in, and some bolt of inspiration comes, some moment that we want to take and we want to capitalize on it, and we want to use that properly for service of God. So there's an iser chimatzasha. And this happens to the world historical stage, Rav Salavechik says, make sure that you hear the divine knock, and don't let the divine knock, don't let those six knock, don't let that pass. And Rav Cook said that this is how we forge a national character. That's Mishulmi Koltsura. And the bread... The bread of affliction is also the bread of Geula. That becomes dessert. It's tabula rasa. Nothing else can be in there when we're trying to go ahead and, right? The more you think about it, then you're not able to go. Right? Did I forget something? Did I? The more you think about it, the more you tarry. And hopefully, if everybody goes ahead on an individual, bifrat, bichlal, to go ahead and internalize this concept of vichipazan to start, and then the metinas, and the di- digesting it afterwards, bedirug, and besidur, and the hitpach, in an incremental way. We use the inspiration, then we capitalize, and we do something tangible with it. So hopefully we won't be able to say that the Messiah will tarry anymore. And hopefully in the spirit of our haste, we'll be able to, uh, to, once, again, uh, to once again experience the Thank you so much for coming.